Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm Dr. Kyle Fagala and I'm excited to have you here. We are on part six of our study of Galatians and we have Kevin Betts uh, back with us. Uh, Kevin, I feel like I said your name weird there. Kevin Betts. Kevin Betts. Uh, he has been leading um, a class for young adults called 222 um, and that has been going really well for those guys but we've missed Kevin being around so uh, I'm glad that that class is going well. We've really needed that at Highland and uh, just Godspeed to them in their class and really just thankful for Kevin to come back and teach for us. He always does an excellent job and so today he's going to be teaching on Galatians 5 verses 1 through 15. So we will get started with Kevin right now. All right. Okay. So, like Kyle said, we're going to be uh, Galatians five one through fifteen. Uh, so, if y'all want to turn there, and then we are going to be going to a couple other places in Scripture too. But um, we may not be reading like big parts of it, but we're going to like reference that. So, just keep that in mind. Um, you may want to be able to flip back and forth pretty quick. Um, okay. So, first, since I haven't been in here um, in a while, I uh, just want to maybe do like a cardinal sin of whoever's like talking and ask people to give uh, responses verbally besides yes and no. But what are, what are some things that so far in Galatians that y'all have gone through that have stuck out to you that um, really have hit home? Because I, I mean, I really do. Whenever you go through like scripture slowly and you really see what the author's like writing, I feel like as you slowly go through it, things just start to p- come alive that you didn't see before whenever you just read something to get through it. So, so what when you've been going through Galatians has stuck out? I'm kind of biased, but I know what Juwan taught. <laughs> um, it stuck out for me about um, when he was talking, to, when Paul was talking to the church about not going back to legality or yeah. this, this, and understanding why you're following Christ and not just trying to stick to the legal rules of the law. Legalism, I guess, is what the word I was looking for. Yep. What else? So don't return to legalism, uh, to legality. What, what else are some things that you've talked about? Uh, for me, it's, it, Galatians was written pretty early, and it's already apparent in chapter 1 that they're following different things and like different ideas have snuck in. And um, I, I think we sometimes assume that, like, false doctrine or like you know weird beliefs or you know things that people argue over in terms of truth have taken a long time to develop but it took like you know 20 years or something uh, or even less yep yep so there were like arguments in the church already just this is right written right after paul's first missionary journey um so even that early um anything else i think what kyle's saying paul's response to that is that salvation is by grace alone yeah, so salvation by grace alone. Anything else that's jumping out at anybody? I'm not looking for like a right answer, but I mean, if I was just kind of curious because I haven't been in here in forever and kind of want to see what uh, maybe different people have, have hit on. That way I can kind of know where I'm going in, in all of this. So, um, Okay, all right, well, let's just, uh, let's go ahead and let's just, I'm going to read um, five uh, verses, one through 15, um, and then pray, and then uh, go on from there. So, uh, Galatians 5, uh, 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to, the, to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if 
you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Is that the case? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch that you are not consumed by one another. Um, all right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for the uh, word that you um, spoke through Paul in his letter to the Galatians. And God, I just pray that today we are able to... Um, hear with fresh ears what you are we're trying to say to this church that still applies to the church today um, God you are good you have chosen us to be your vessels in this world to proclaim the good news that you've given humanity and God I just pray that we'll be faithful to that I pray that you will um, raise up people in this room and around this church to uh, carry that message to work and to different parts of the country and different parts of the world wherever you would have us be Lord um, I just pray that today we leave all of our uh, sin at the door, all of the things that we uh, were affected by this week, and we come and we worship you. Uh, and we glorify you for all the good that you have done um, and the righteousness that we have because of uh, your son, Jesus. And I just thank you for the gift that we've been given. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, Y'all probably already did this at some point whenever y'all are doing the intro of Galatians, but what you, what's going on in chapter 5 is you really have like a shift that's going on in, in the book. So you, you've got this, so Paul just didn't write this book arbitrarily. He, he wrote this letter because like what was already brought up, there were some arguments that were going on in the church, and so he's writing to address that. So this was like written to a real church in a real time, in a real place about real events. And so I think that's important because what's going on is you have in the first part of the book, a lot of theology that Paul's laying down. And so he's laying down all this stuff about all these churchy words like justification and righteousness and all, and all of these things and explaining this to get to a point of, of a real situation that's going on in a church. And so what's going on, um, and I'm sure, like I said, that y'all talked about this, is you, you have a, a church in this area of the world that's kind of like Turkey, I think, modern-day Turkey, um, called Galatia, and there are all these churches in different cities in that region. And you have a, a church that was initially a lot of Gentile uh, converts to Christianity. And then just through different events that happen, you've got an influx of Jewish Christians that come into these churches who have all these traditions that were based in Judaism, and uh, one of those being circumcision. And so then you have what's going on is the Jewish Christians were insisting that the Gentile Christians adopt circumcision and, and inherently all, all of the law that went along with that. Um, and so that's why Paul's writing. And so he's laid down the theology that kind of debunks the myth of 
the law being your way to salvation. And in chapter 5, he kind of shifts again to that specific reason that he taught, that he, that he, was, that he was writing, which was about um, people demanding that you be circumcised in order to be a Christian. So that's, that's where we're at. So we're switching to kind of be like a practice, like this is Paul speaking practically into the, in, into the church there. Um, and so just, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, that's what, that's what you've got is you have, he's laid down this theology of how it's not about what works you do. It's about faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves you. Um, and then he says that for freedom, Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. So that yoke of slavery is just is, is the law. Um, and it really goes back to uh, how the Jews had, over time, they had, they had twisted what circumcision was, the intention of circumcision. Um, so I think we all know what circumcision is. Uh, I'm not going to ask anybody to explain that. Um, and... Uh, but I think it, it, what we are going to do is I want to go back to where circumcision was uh, instituted in, in Scripture and kind of camp out there for a few minutes so that we can then go back to Galatians and see, and see what Paul's talking about. So uh, if, you, if, you'll go, if you want to, you can turn to, uh, to Genesis uh, 17. Uh, but we're not really going to read through all of it, so if you don't want to flip uh, through that, I'm kind of just going to talk through it instead of read, it, instead of read a lot of it. Um, So before I do that, just to kind of summarize what, what Paul's getting at, he, he, this is what he says in uh, chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 2 of Galatians. Um, he goes, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than what we preach to you. So that's just to kind of summarize what Paul's getting at and kind of returning to in, in chapter 5. Um, so if you, look, if you look back in Genesis, the first time that you see circumcision is when God is talking with Abraham. And so he, uh, in uh, chapter 17 of Genesis, uh, God says this, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give you and your offspring after, the, after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession I will be their God. Um, skipping down to verse 11, You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so what, you, what you've got going on is he says it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And, and what the, had happened over time is... It had ceased to be a sign of the covenant and had become the covenant in, in people's minds. And so you have going throughout Israelite history and they're going through all these cycles of sin and then returning to God and sin and returning to God and all, over generations. Uh, and they go into uh, exile and they come back. And by the time you get to Jesus, in that day, circumcision was seen as the covenant. Like that was an act that you did in order to gain right standing with God that you had to do that in order to be seen as righteous by God. 
And so that's, that's, like where, that's where the mindset of these Jewish Christians is, is because if, you, if they were to look back at their history, they're like, well, our father Abraham, he was circumcised, and everybody in his family was circumcised. And you go a little bit later, and uh, Moses is even almost brought to death because he didn't have his kids circumcised. And so it's, it's an important thing to God, and, and you can definitely see that throughout the Old Testament, but it had been changed from a sign of the covenant to be the covenant itself. So it was like something you were having to do to uphold your part of the bargain. And so if, you're, if you see this and you're saying, okay, well, so if it's the sign of the covenant, what was the covenant? Well, you've got to go back just a little bit, a little bit before that in uh, chapter 15. And you've got that weird story, which I don't know if, if y'all talked about this or not, but um, you've got this weird story where um, God is talking with Abraham, and Abraham's like, how do I know that you're going to uphold your, your covenant? How do I know that I'm going to have a son? I'm getting old. I don't have one yet. How can I trust you? And then God says, go get a cow. <laughs> and so he goes and gets a cow, and he brings it, and, and Abraham kills it and puts it in two pieces. And then it says a deep sleep comes over Abraham. And so he's knocked out. And, and while he's knocked out, this, like, this is the, these are the events that happen. And this is important. And so what you had going on is this is something that was common in that day. It was like a, it's called a blood covenant. And so you would have had these two pieces of a cow that were separated, and all the blood pools in the middle, and then in a normal covenant, this would have been like for a business agreement or for marriage. Sometimes we do this between like the fathers of the, of the uh, bride-to-be and the groom-to-be. Um, and, and other things in ancient culture is both parties would walk through and around kind of like a figure eight around the pieces of the cow, stomping through the blood that's in the middle. And essentially what they were saying is, may whatever happen... May, what happen, may whatever happened to this cow happen to me if I break my side of the bargain. And so you've got, that, that's what's going on here, is you have, is Abraham saying, God, how, how can I know that you're going to uphold your end? And so then he says, go get a cow. Abraham would have known that this is going to be like, okay, we're going to make a pact here. This is going to be an agreement that shows that I'm going to uphold my end of the bargain. And so he goes and gets his cow, but then he doesn't walk through it. What happens if you read is there is this flaming torch and a smoking fire pot, which when Abraham's asleep, passed through the middle of this cow. And so you've got these two, which seem like arbitrary objects going through the middle of this cow. And what God's doing is he's saying, no, like this is going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because I'm going to do both sides of it for you. You are not, there is no part of this covenant that you are indicative of of keeping it's going to be solely dependent on me Um, and so that's what god does for abraham and then if you even look before that so before the covenant before circumcision you have earlier in chapter 15 uh, where it says abraham um, he believed the lord and he counted to him as righteousness so if you're hopping back like a few steps what you got is you have this sign of the covenant in circumcision that was preceded by the covenant itself that God upheld both ends of, which was preceded before that as faith in God that was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So there's no part of circumcision that is connected to your righteousness, right? I mean, do y'all, do y'all see how that works? Like, it's, you, you, he, Abraham was righteous, was seen as righteous before God, then the covenant was confirmed both sides by God, and then circumcision was seen as a sign of the covenant that had already happened. And so that's, that's what's going on. And so over time, though, that had been twisted to where the, it was reversed. It was you were circumcised, then you were seen as right before God, then you had this covenant with God. And so the, the, order, the order was reversed. It got out of order. Yep. It seems very similar to baptism. 
same concept can apply to that as it, it's not the water that saves you, but it's everything that came before that. Yeah, there's no magic. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no there's no magic in in that baptistry except for that the sign that it points to what's happened through the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah. I mean that's that's exactly what it is. Um, and so uh, so that, that like that's what's going on here. That that's that's what we got going on, and that's that's how what had happened in Scripture in the Old Testament and what God had intended was twisted over the years because we have this thing inside of all of us that that believe this right here that there's got to be there it's got to be that there's something i have to do in order to gain this because if you look at the way the world works almost everything is set up for your performance you you are paid upon your performance you are um, many times judged by others based upon your performance um, I think I think we see this all the time. Like if you look on social media, like if you were to look on Twitter, like it is filled with people blasting other people based upon their performance in some realm, right? Um, like the whole world works that way, where everything that we have is based upon something that we've earned, um, and so religion's got to be that way, right? And if you look at every other religion, that's that's how it's set up. Like I don't like, and I'm not like an expert in like other, you know, like any religion, but like there's, um, if you think of, like, I don't think the concept of grace exists outside of Christ. Like, I don't think there is another religion that, that teaches grace at all. It's all about, okay, I've got to do this in order to be in a place where I can maybe get a little bit closer to God, but then if I fall back, I'm like way back over here, and I've got to maybe do double in order to get back to where I was. And so it's this constant just like rat race of going and going and going and going, and there's no rest in the joy of the salvation that you have in, in your God, whatever it may be in that religion, because you have to continue to perform in order to matter and be heard by that God. And that's not who Christ is. Um, that's, that's not who he is. Um, so when, when I was looking at this, something else that I, that I think is really interesting is if you were to look up the places where circumcision is mentioned in the Old Testament, it is actually mentioned more in the New Testament than the Old Testament, which, which is kind of, if you think about how big of, a ish, of an issue it was in, in, the, in the early church, it is mentioned more in the New Testament than, than it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, I was looking through, um, and I mean, this isn't going to be exact. I was just trying to figure out, like, okay, where do I see circumcision talked about? Um, obviously, it's, it's mentioned in, in what we just read in Genesis. Um, and then it's mentioned some in the, in the law, like in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But really where it's mentioned in, uh, the only place it's mentioned in Leviticus is, uh, I forget what chapter, what chap- I think I wrote this down. Let me see. It's Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 12. It's, it's mentioned in between other laws concerning uh, women when they give birth. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's, it, it, before it, the first two verses are about uh, a woman when she's given birth and what to do if that, one, if that child is a, is a male or female. And then circumcision is mentioned as, hey, do it on the eighth day. And then it goes back to other laws about immediately in verse 4. So verse 3 is about circumcision. Verse 1, 2, 4, and following are about what a woman's supposed to do when she has a kid. <laughs> so like it, that, that's where it is mentioned. Uh, and then... Um, then there's this idea in Deuteronomy where he, he says, yes, you should be circumcised and you and your uh, generations to be, but 
this is what he follows it up with in, in two places in Deuteronomy, and we'll read one of them. Uh, so Deuteronomy 30 is where I'm going to read from. Um, so he, 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 he talks about this in Deuteronomy 10 and then also in Deuteronomy 30, and we're going to read uh, 30 verses um, starting in verse 5. So Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 5. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that you your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So already in Deuteronomy, you have this concept of circumcising the heart, um, which is a is a more important thing than circumcising like your foreskin. For one, there's only like 50% of the population that have that. Um, and so if you think about it, like what, what, what is more indicative of like the, the faithfulness of a, of a generation? It would be the circumcision of your heart. Everybody's got one of those, right? And so you just, you just think about that um, and how that is this inward sign that is already spoken of as the circumcision that you do physically is ultimately looking forward to the circumcision of the heart. Um, and if it says the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. So God tells Abraham to circumcise himself and all the males in his household um, as a sign of the covenant. But then God is the one who says that he will one day circumcise your hearts and the hearts of all of your offspring. So God is doing that work. So, so, like, so what, what is that? What is circumcising your heart? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. Um, so, kind of already talked about it, but who who is it that circumcises your heart? It's God. Um, I think you see this like um, David understood this. Um, if you look at uh, one of his more famous psalms that he wrote, Psalm fifty-one. Um, and he's talking about, this is right after his sin with Bathsheba, and he's remorseful and uh, is grieving over, over the sin that he's done and the wrong that he's done. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew with me a steadfast spirit. Um, later he will say, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me, um, but restore to me the joy of my, of my salvation. So, it, like, David recognizes that what's wrong with him is something inside. That it's not this outward sign that he's got to do in order to get in right relationship with God. He understands that everything about him being in right relationship with God has to do with God initiating that and changing him by the, his whole, by the Holy Spirit. Dave, David recognized that. Um, and that's something that, you know, the prophets and uh, John the Baptist and, and Jesus, obviously, to come understood and taught is that, you know, time and time and again, you saw in the Old Testament where God or one of the prophets said, God does not desire your sacrifices. He does not desire these fattened calves to be slaughtered. He desires a contrite heart and a, and a clean spirit. Like, he, he desires you to want to know him, and he desires you to let his spirit shape you and mold you. Um, it had, it, it's not about the sacrifice. If your heart wasn't right, then he didn't even want the sacrifice. If your heart was right and then you have the sign of a sacrifice to show what God's done in your life, then that's when he, he liked that. That's, that's when God wanted that sacrifice. It's when your heart was right. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to go? Sorry, y'all. I lost my space a little bit. Um, so anyways, so yeah, so that in Deuteronomy kind of shows how even early on in the Old Testament, God was, was moving from this physical sign of circumcision as a sign of the covenant and a foreshadowing of the circumcision of the heart that God would put within his people by the Holy Spirit. Um, so if, if you think about that, like the whole purpose of the cross is the circumcision of the heart. It's, it's being able to get to a point where God has imposed righteousness upon you, not based upon anything that you have done or any works that you do or anything that you have to do to keep it up in the future, but based upon and solely on the blood of Jesus. And it's by that that you are saved and not by anything else. That salvation came prior to any covenant that God made, prior to any act that God told his people to do, and it was based upon faith in God. And that's where that righteousness came from. And that's what you've probably already, that's what you've already talked about in Galatians up to this point. Um, and so, okay, all that theology, all of that history about circumcision, what does that have to do about what Paul is writing in chapter 5, and what does that have to do with the, the church today? Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to this. Okay, so I think that we have forgotten at times the simplicity of the gospel. Um, and I think that that goes, where is that red marker? There it is. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I think that we've forgotten the simplicity of it because everything in life is based upon, a lot of times, our performance. Uh, we, we don't think that we deserve something unless we've done something to earn it. If, if we feel like we've worked harder than someone else, yet they receive the same thing we do, we're mad about that. Um, we view other people and we put ourselves around other people a lot of times in a what-have-you-done-for-me-recently mindset. Um, and if you look at it, like a lot of times, um, I think one of the easiest things to do is if, uh, if you look at whatever group you're in, whoever does not fit in that group and whatever the characteristics of that group are, what can you do to serve that person? Because <laughs> they're probably the person that's being marginalized. Um, and so I think that a lot of it has to do with our idea that we have to perform matter, and that's not how it is with God. Um, so... So simple gospel, this is something that we have forgotten, and if you change anything within these three things, you end up getting legalism. Um, so the first one is we lost it all. We lost it all. Whenever, whenever we have sinned, whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all of the fullness of God and all of that right relationship that they had, it was all lost. It was broken. And there was nothing that they could do to earn it back. Because one time, and you are no longer perfect, right? So you can't be with someone who's perfect. So we lost it all. Uh, and then the next one is... Um, so he did it all. It's not a... Jesus does some of it, and then there's a little bit more that we got to do to to sweeten our offer at God for eternal life. Um, it, this isn't. It's not something that we, you know, Jesus got us this interview with God. He was able to get us a, a sit down to where then we've got to sell it to God to to take it across the finish line and get that and get that job. Like that's not that's not what that's not what Christianity is. 
It's not where, yeah, Jesus, he, he, he saved me from a lot of things, and he saved me, but now I've got to work in order to maintain this job or this salary, whatever you want to say, in order, in order to maintain that, there's things i got to do. No, like, when we lost it all, we lost it all. And then there is no part of that that we have the ability to gain back of ourselves. It is all and completely something that Christ did. And because he did it all, we we receive it all. We don't earn it all. Um, we don't we don't earn some of it. We don't we don't get some of it and then earn the rest of it. It, it is something that what what was lost in sin and what was marred by what Satan's done in our lives and the lives of everybody in front of us and everybody that comes after us. All of that was rectified by what by what Christ did, and because he did it all, we receive all of the gift of his, of his spirit and of his righteousness. Um, we receive inheritance in heaven. Um, we receive it all. Everything that was broken, we get back. So like that, that, in a, in a, like that is the gospel. You know, like it's simple. It, it's not God did some and then we do more. That's, that's not what it is. And so that's what, that's what legalism is, is when, when you change this to we lost some of it, he did most of it, and we receive a, lo- a lot. That's, that's, not, that's not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is we lost it all, he did it all, we receive it all. And so what you have in, in the church in Galatians is you had people that, were infilt- that had infiltrated the church and were preaching, yeah, Jesus is the one you need to follow, but you also have to adhere to these Jewish dietary customs and circumcision and all of these other things that were inherent with the Old Testament law. And, and Paul is writing like, why would you leave the freedom which you have been given in Christ where you are completely free and saved in Jesus Christ alone and take, on, take that good gift and put something else on top of it? And the, the reason is, is because we all inherently believe this, that, we, okay, I know that this is good, but is there not something that I've got to do in order to maintain this or to earn this or to make sure that I don't lose it? Like there's nothing, there's nothing that you that you have to do. There is no performance that you have to do in order to have a right relationship with God. There's none. Um, it, it's a it's a simple gospel, and so that kind of leads into this point right here. What, what do we have until fifty? Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, why does Paul call the gospel offensive? So if you if you were to go back to Galatians. Um, If I can get there. Okay. He says, uh, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Um, there's like, I, I was uh, listening to something where the guy had said, One translation of that is, I wish that they would let the knife slip. <laughs> um, which I thought that's, a, <laughs> that's an interesting way of thinking about it. So, uh, Anyways, yeah, you wish that the knife would slip. Uh, okay, but why, why does Paul say, so the offense of the cross would be removed if Paul still preached circumcision? Um, and I, I think, I think what it, what's happening, and we don't have a ton of time to go through this, but um, what's happening is everything in life, everything in the world points towards there's got to be something that we do in order to earn something from God or the gods or whoever it is that you're trying to serve in your religion or yourself. 
There's got to be something that I do in order to do that, to get that. Um, but what Paul's teaching and what Jesus taught um, is that the kingdom of heaven is something, is a gift that you've been given through Christ. So uh, just real quick, we're not going to read it just for time, but if you were to go back to Matthew uh, 19 and 20, um, so maybe you can do this later, uh, there, there, are three, there are two stories in a parable that speak about the kingdom of heaven. The first one is uh, the little children. And so you've got these people that bring the little children uh, to Jesus, and the disciples are like, no, get them away. Like, he doesn't have time for just these little kids, um, and tries to shoo the people away. And Jesus rebukes the, the apostles, the disciples, and says, no. And it says this in Mark. I don't think it actually says this in the Matthew version, but if you were to look in Mark and Luke, it says it. Um, he says, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of heaven like one of these little ones will not receive it. He says, who does not receive it? So it's something that you, not that you earn, but something that you receive. So if you don't receive it like a child, like a child doesn't go up to their parents and, a little child doesn't go up to the parents and say, hey, what can I do in order that you feed me tonight? Like that's, <laughs> that is something that the, the parent does for, for the child. That they, and then the child receives that, you know, always. Uh, they'll always receive it. And so, that's, uh, so he tells that story. And then the story right after that, is the one about the rich young ruler. And so you've got this guy that in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of all of the Jewish leaders of the day, in the eyes of the disciples, is awesome. This guy, he's a moral dude, probably good-looking, young. He's, he's got a lot going for him. So, so he's rich, famous, powerful, and he's a, he's a good guy. And, and he goes to Jesus, and what does he say? If you look at right, right there in Matthew 19, he says, uh, teacher, what good deeds must I do in order to inherit eternal life, in, in, or inherit the kingdom of heaven? And so he's so you have these little these little children who are receiving Jesus, who re, receiving Jesus's gift of the kingdom of heaven, and who Jesus says you must be like them in order to receive it. Then it's juxtaposed with this rich young ruler who goes and says, what good deeds must I do in order to inherit it? So there's this sense of where he thinks, man, I've got to what. What do I have to do in order to perform? And he goes away sad because Jesus tells him to do the one thing that is his idol, that he's put above serving God, um, and that's money. And then it's right after that is this parable about laborers in the vineyard. And in that story, this is, I think, where a lot of times the offense of the, of the gospel comes in and why it offended the Jews that the Gentiles didn't have to adhere to these customs. You, you have the story where Jesus is telling, and, and the, work, and the uh, owner of a field goes out, and he hires workers at the beginning of the day, and in three hours, and they, they agree to work for a denarius, which had been a day's, day's labor, a uh, day's wage. Three, three hours later goes, asks people to come and work for a day's wage. They do. Three hours later, the same thing happens, and that happens the whole day up until the 11th hour, and with one hour left in the day, he goes to these people and goes, hey, will you come and work for me for an hour for a day's wage? And they agree. And so at the end of the day, whenever they're getting ready to be paid, they go to the owner of the field and they receive what they've, what they've been given, which is this day's wage, which it speaks into how we view grace. Is we, we view it as a wage. We view it as something that we've done in order to earn and that we, des- we deserve to have it. And so in, in the parable, the people who went to the owner of the field and worked the longest said, I know we agreed to this, but I earned more than they did. I earned more than those other people. Um, and, and the owner of the field says, you agreed to work for that. How can you be mad at my generosity? And so that's how, that's how the uh, 
the Jewish Christians were viewing the Gentile Christians. They had seen, we've been this people who have been looking forward to the Messiah coming, and he's finally been here, and we've been following all of these laws and these customs and upholding your word for thousands of years. And here, Jesus comes, and not only does he welcome us into this freedom, but he's welcomed these people who didn't even know you. And it doesn't seem right, because there's got to be something that we've got to do to perform in order to matter in this. Because there's, otherwise, what are we doing it at all? Um, and, and that's what, uh, at, the, at the end, um, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so what it was is there was this opportunity the flesh came to say, I've been given this great gift, but I feel like I've deserved more than someone else. So I'm going to tell them that they have to do this in order so it makes me look better. Um, but I think all of this can be summed up. And we don't, uh, I'm, we're out of time now. But all of it can be summed up is practically when you're looking at people in your life, um, are you quick to judge them based upon what, how they are performing in Christianity? Or do you view them as other people who are completely saved by Jesus and through his blood? Do you view them through the lens of loving them? How, how can this grace that I've been given, that I've had nothing to do, how can I use that to show love to one another rather than looking how I can show how someone isn't loving God as much as I am? Um, practically, I think that's what Paul's getting at, and that's, that's what the application is for us today. There's a whole host of things that we do in order to think that we earn the right to be before God, whether it be a quiet time or or maybe baptism, or it may be um, all of these ritual-type things that we put in our lives in order to gain right standing. But that's not the case. Like, you've been given grace through the blood of Jesus, um, and it's only in that that you've been saved. Um, and if that looks anything in your life other than love for your, like, fellow man, like, then you've missed the point. Uh, that, that is the point of it. Um, and so let's, let's pray, and then I'm, I'm done. Uh, Lord, uh, you're, you're so good. Uh, We've done nothing to deserve the grace that you've shown us, um, and yet you freely gave it, Lord. Uh, I thank you for your son, for the uh, life that you came and lived here on earth uh, among us and and showing us what it looks like to live in you by your spirit. Um, God, I just pray that we continue to fan the flame, uh, the work that you've done in our lives, and we uh, look to be um, an ever-increasing, an ever-increasing image of your son. God, the word that you have given us is good, and it cuts through to bone and marrow, and I just pray that we will uh, hear what your word has had to say to us and and the words of uh, wiser men and women in the faith who have uh, gone before us, and that we will uh, always be humble and ready to hear uh, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to thank Kevin Betts for doing an excellent job. I really enjoyed that class. Um, Great job, Kevin. Thanks for coming back and spending time with us. Um, Kevin is just 26. Um, Makes me feel like an old man at 33, uh, even though we look the same age. Uh, Kevin, man, it's been cool to watch him mature and uh, just really has become a great Sunday school teacher. Um, So next week we'll be back. Jawan Davis will be teaching on the other part of Galatians chapter 5. The week after that, I'll be teaching on Galatians 6, and then I believe David will wrap us up with the end of Galatians 6 in a few weeks. Hope you guys are having a great week. We look forward to having you with us next week. If you're ever in the Memphis area, of course, we meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Highland Church of Christ. And uh, man, we'll we'll see you next week. Hope God blesses you this week. Bye-bye.